This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The theme of distraction keeps popping up for me and specifically how distraction can keep us from doing the most important things. So today we're talking about some of the ways to combat this, how to identify it in your life and where you'll find the best solution that's exactly meant for you. So today we're going to talk about something that has come up for me at least three times in the last week. And I always know that God's trying to tell me something when it comes up more than once, but especially three times. So about a week ago, I was reading a book that I've wanted to read for years called The Infinite Atonement by Tad R. Callister. I actually heard about this book first when my brother Jake was on his mission, gosh, like five-ish years ago. And he, I remember him writing me more than once on his mission and saying, Corinne, please read this book. Like he begged me to read it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll read it. I'll read it. I think I even promised him at one point that I'd read it before he got home. And I never did. Have you read this book, by the way? I'm not. Not yet. Okay. It's, I need to. Yeah, it's excellent. But I was reading just the one of the first couple chapters and this part really popped out to me. In fact, right when you got home that day, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to tell you about something that I read because it was super interesting and I had never thought of it this way. So Hugh Nibley says, so cool has been the reception of the message of the atonement that through the centuries, while heated controversy and debate have raged over evolution, atheism, the sacraments, the Trinity, authority, predestination, faith and works, and so on, there has been no argument or discussion at all about the meaning of the atonement. Why were there no debates or pronouncements on the synods? Synods? I don't know what that word is. People either do not care enough or do not know enough even to argue about it. For the doctrine of the atonement is far too complicated to have the appeal of a world religion. So my take on that was, oh, this is so interesting that Satan has gotten people to argue over all these other nuances of the gospel of Jesus Christ, like evolution, the Trinity, faith, works, all that stuff. And I was shocked earlier this year when at the beginning of our Old Testament study, I posted a picture and talked about Eve and the fall of Adam. And my the comment section just blew up with people's opinions, which I thought was so interesting. I had no idea that it would be so controversial. But his point is, why is no one talking about the atonement of Jesus Christ in Christianity? And I do think that's so interesting that Satan's like, if I can get people distracted and talking about these other things, they'll focus so much on what their bedrock belief is in the Trinity or not the Trinity or whatever, so that they can completely be distracted from what was the greatest in Christianity, the greatest and most important event that has ever happened and will ever happen in the history of the world. So that was super interesting to me. And then last night I was part of a discussion. So Emily Bell Freeman gathered some women 
she has this group called Inklings and it's an online community that she does every week, Thursday mornings of women who want to like discuss different conference talks and gospel topics every Thursday morning. There's a huge Instagram community that gets together and does that. And then she gathered some people in person last night and invited me and a few others who live out of state or couldn't attend to be part of that via Zoom. So I mostly just listened and got to like really just soak up great little nuggets that people were saying. I wrote down a lot of really good things, but the one thing that just like stood out to me more than anything else was, a, and I wish I could credit it to the right person because I don't even know who said it because I wasn't there. I was just listening over Zoom, but someone said, Satan wants us to waste our time. And I was like, oh, that is so true. And I have been really good lately at wasting my time. And I was telling Neil right before we started recording, you know, I've been on bed rest for 10 and a half, almost 11 weeks. And what have I done that I wouldn't have done on bed rest? I look at my time and I'm like, have I done anything that with this unique opportunity I wouldn't otherwise be able to do? Because usually our life is full of a lot of things, but because I can't really go anywhere, I can't attend certain events. I can't travel. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff that would normally be taking me away from time to devote to things that I really need to do. A lot of that is off the table right now. So, and we've talked about how I really feel like this is a special consecrated time that God has given me to get some things done. And in particular, write this book that I know I need to write and I mean, I personally almost feel like God is like, okay, I've been telling you for years to do this. And since you haven't done it, I'm just going to ground you to your bedroom (laughs) until you do it. It feels a little bit like that in a loving way. But I mean, I remember the first time that I really felt like, okay, I need you to stop spending time on things that don't matter and start spending time on this one thing that matters. This is how long I've had this impression. Well, I've really been feeling the nudge from the spirit to write a book since 2015, 2016. But this happened in October of 2018. Russell M. Nelson said during the October conference in 2018, I plead with you to take a prayerful look at how you spend your time. Invest time in your future and in that of your family. And I remember when he said that, I was like, oh, I do need to really think about how I'm spending my time. And I remember listening to his wife, Wendy Watson Nelson, giving a talk right after that where she talked about her version of tightening up how she was spending her time. She talked about how she loved the show Murder, She Wrote, and how she would turn that on and watch episodes of that. And she said that after President Nelson gave a challenge to the women to like really evaluate how you're spending your time that she decided that that wasn't the best use of her time and she cut back on that. So it's something that I've had in the back of my mind for a long time. Okay, there, there's times, there's a lot of time that I'm wasting doing things that really don't matter, like watching TV series or, um, I mean, that's a big one. That's probably honestly, and it's hard because at the end of a busy day during normal life, it's like, that's one of my wind down, sit down, watch a TV show, disconnect, like finally relax at the end of the day. Like I love to do that. But I remember when 
President Nelson said to, he said, I plead with you to take a good look at how you're spending your time. That was my instant impression. Like you could be writing your book instead of watching these TV shows. But did I do anything about it? To be honest, I didn't. And I have definitely, I've made more progress in writing the book, finishing my book proposal, sending it to people, trying to pursue this opportunity than I ever have before on bed rest, but I certainly could have done a lot more. So it's just something that has come to mind and that I feel like these little these little things are are speaking to me and sticking out to me. And it's like, this is your opportunity to do this. You will never have a more opportune time than you do right now to sit down and really focus and write this book. So that's just personally for me, but what are you, what are your initial thoughts, Neil, on this topic? Well, I think it's a great topic. There's a lot that goes into it, but it just reminds me, I don't know, I hate to be that guy, like, oh, back on my mission. But it reminds me of being on my mission. And when I first got to Canada, went to Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I just had barely missed Elder Craig W. Zwick came to our mission, spoke to everybody. Is he the guy that talked about the Lion King? Yes. Oh my gosh, I love yes, him. Yes, that is the Lion King guy. He had just come on the mission and he, there was this quote that just stuck with all of the missionaries. Everyone like wrote it on their whiteboards and mirrors and talked about it at every conference or every meeting. And he said, true sacrifice for a missionary is a perfect use of time. That became like the quest for our entire mission. So everything that we did, we tried to be highly, highly effective with our time, which is really hard to do, especially sometimes when it's slow, like people aren't home or whatever, there's no one to talk to, but we would try and do it. We would try in between appointments, we would like contact people as much as possible. Or if we were walking somewhere and we weren't talking to someone, we would recite scriptures or practice memorizing scriptures or memorizing the discussions or go back and forth. So it was like 100% of the time, as much as possible, you were doing something, you were like engaged in a good cause. You were doing something to feed you spiritually or to get better at sharing the gospel or teaching the gospel, or you were teaching the gospel and trying to be as effective as possible with it. So it was hard up to that point. I hadn't really applied myself. I just was kind of like a kid right out of high school. I had a, a summer and, and change before I went on my mission in between high school and when I left. And up to that point, I kind of would just go and hang out and ride my bike and hang with my friends. Like there wasn't really a huge emphasis on like hustling it all day, every day. I had jobs and, and, and things that I would would do, but that's really where I learned how to apply myself for long, like an entire day, sun up to sundown and try and be really engaged. And I think it, it's hard. It takes a lot of effort and, and a lot of focus, but at the same time, like it's really cool to see how it changes. Like it, I, th I really felt like it changed me as a person focusing that much on Christ and that much on scripture and that much on things of a spiritual nature, mm -hmm. I think that like it changed who I was as a person for the better. 
obviously that gave us a lot of opportunities to teach other people and do a lot of good and bring people to Christ and, and do really cool things that, which is the core of what you're doing as a missionary. But I always, I always remember that true sacrifice as a missionary is a perfect use of time. Really cool. That's so good. And what are your feelings when you think back on that time? How does it make you feel when you think about what that was like? It was hard, but I remember just knowing just a a deep down feeling, knowing of I'm engaging in things that are really tough and hard, but that are so good and so right. And I think that it, in that sense, it was really, it was just really cool to be like 100% of the time devoted to that. Okay. So, but even though, okay, those were your feelings at the time, but I'm saying like now looking back, how do you feel when you think about your mission? Think about the time that you spent there and. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's, it's really cool. I feel something I obviously I feel really good about and yeah. feel happy about. That was my point is like a lot of times if you're doing something really hard in the moment, it's hard. There's no getting around that. But then afterwards, a lot of times that's when you look back and you're like, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I went through that refiner's fire. I'm so glad that I figured that out. And there was no way to achieve that except for through it. So I wanted to talk about why I think Satan loves for us to waste our time, which is the thing that I wrote down last night that just popped out to me. Satan wants us to waste our time. So I love the C.S. Lewis quote from The Weight of Glory. He said, We're always falling in love or quarreling, looking for jobs or fearing to lose them, getting ill and recovering, following public affairs. If we let ourselves, we shall always be waiting for some distraction or other to end before we can really get down to our work. The only people who achieve much are those who want knowledge so badly that they seek it while the conditions are still unfavorable. Favorable conditions never come. And I thought about that. You're going to think this is funny, but I thought about that in the context of surfing, which I don't do, but a lot of people around here do. (laughs) But here's why I thought about it is because the surfers, like the actual, and we've heard our friends talk about this. Like there are people who surf and there are people who are surfers and the surfers are out there every day, rain or shine, good weather or bad weather. It doesn't matter if the Pacific ocean is freezing cold and feels like ice on your face. They stick their wetsuit on and they're out there every morning. That's just how like the really hardcore committed surfers are. They do not wait for good conditions. They don't, I mean, yeah, you'll see the beaches here just fill up, you know, like it's way more crowded when there's good surf. But even when there's not the actual really good surfers, they do not wait for good weather. They are out there all the time. So I thought about this in the context of if you were Satan and you knew you were going to show up to a surfing competition what would you want all of your competitors to do? You would want them to not practice, to not show up, to not be prepared. If you can distract them, if you can make them think like, oh, I'm going to wait for good weather. I'm going to wait for a better day. I'm going to wait for like perfect conditions. You know, the swell has to be good, whatever. Then it's going to be a pretty easy competition if you can get them to just not show up. And I think that that is how the game of life is too. For us, we have all of these amazing opportunities to do things with our time, to learn, to grow, to teach people, to develop ourselves. And if Satan can just get us to be distracted from what God's trying to get us to focus on, then he's winning. It's like little Satan wins. (laughs) 
Like every time we ignore a prompting and we do something else or we think, oh yeah, I'll get around to that or yeah, I really should do that. Then he's winning because he's getting you, even if he's not getting you to like go out and be a a chainsaw murderer, <laughs> you can still get people to just be a little bit distracted by something that's good, but not the best use of time. In 2018, though, we did make, a, actually, we made it at the beginning of 2019. We did make a pretty great life change that I feel like changed everything about our relationship and our our relationship with each other, our relationship with God. And that was to take this challenge by our prophet to go to the temple more. Um, so in that exact same talk that I talked about a minute ago, where he pled with us to take a prayerful look at how we are spending our time. He said, if you have reasonable access to a temple, I urge you to find a way to make an appointment regularly with the Lord to be in his holy house. Then keep that appointment with exactness and joy. I promise you that the Lord will bring the miracles he knows you need as you make sacrifices to serve and worship in his temples. And I remember hearing that in October and being like, wow, that sounds nice, but we're so busy. That's how kind of everybody feels like, oh, we're so busy. Our schedule's so stacked. We have so much to do. And at the time, we had a nanny who would come. There were a couple days a week where we had a full day to work. And then there were a couple days a week that were like half days. And Friday was a half day. Every Friday, we had a babysitter for whoever was at home and not in school for just half the day, the morning. And for whatever reason, we kind of sat down and looked at our schedule and said, I think if we sacrifice that morning, Friday morning, and we try to just get our work done Monday through Thursday, I think that we can give this time up and use this like time that we've hired someone really so that we can work and instead just spend one out of those days, one more, you know, half day going to the temple instead. So we committed to doing that. And I remember you were even kind of like, wow, that's every week like that's hardcore but okay if you want to and I feel like once we started doing that there was just so much power and so many blessings and it wasn't like life went perfectly or got really easy I mean that was like just right on the doorstep of as you've said like the greatest challenge of your life that was when Dave died like three weeks later after we started going to the temple but I can't imagine how much harder that trial would have been if we hadn't been going to the temple. And if we hadn't decided to go to the temple, I very highly doubt that we would have been like, oh yeah, now that we're in survival mode, now that things are hard, let's add that to our schedule. Let's add that to the list. I just don't think we would have done it. So that was a real learning experience for me to see the difference of finding time, like making time for something that was super important and then seeing the blessings and seeing that like a little effort and then the huge output from that small effort every week. And I think that we were blessed in all things. Like I think we had spiritual blessings. I think we had physical blessings, a lot of things that I think the Lord helped us out with extra during that time. Yeah. I think that Obviously, like sacrifice kind of goes hand in hand with that. I was just thinking about that as you were as we were talking. That in order to to do that, there has to be some sort of a trade off. Even if it's something where it's like, oh, I like doing this instead. I like this re- recreational activity, or I like hanging out 
and doing this or for us, yeah, it was, was work that day being able to get work done. Um, but there's always more work. There's always more. There's always something yeah. more to do. There always is going to be that element of sacrifice, but the, the payoff was so high level, particularly at that time that I look back and I'm like, I think that was a necessity at that time to be able to meet the demands of what the challenge of life that was being presented then. Um, and I, I think that that's really, you look at, I, I just think about what President Nelson, the prophet of our church, talks about or is talking about most recently is is kind of like, hey, look, we're, we're going to, we're building all of these temples. Here's an, here's an announcement on 50 plus more temples that we're, are, we're designing right now, another 50 plus that we're breaking ground on, and then another 50 plus that we're announcing. Like, there's a reason why there's such an emphasis on making the temple readily available for people. And I, I mean, I think he just kind of spelled it out this last conference it was like, this is why. And, and talking about so much about the covenant path and covenants how important those are and how how they bind us to God. If that's something, and, and I've just thought about that, I'm like, if that's something that I'm not taking advantage of or thinking about, like that, man, I'm leaving a lot of spiritual power on the table that that's already there for me that I'm just not taking advantage of or thinking about or using my faith to to really as an, as an action to bring that into my life, to do something to remind myself of how powerful that is. So really, really, I don't know, really, really cool. I just got a lot out of what he said about that. And, and I think it does come down to weeding out or making a trade-off with some things that are, that are distractions in our life. And, and what a powerful tool. Like, yeah, if I was the adversary, I mean, let me throw out as many distractions as I possibly can, not things that aren't necessarily bad, but then aren't really great or good that are just kind of flat, that are just kind of neutral, that are just fillers. And let me take all of your time and focus in on those things so that it keeps you away from things that could be doing really miraculous things for you in your life. It makes a lot of sense. My friend Allison told me a story, too, of Greg McEwen being her bishop. I thought this was so funny. She was like, oh, yeah, I was, I think she was in the Young Women's Presidency or something while Greg McEwen was the bishop in the Bay Area. And she was like, do you want to know what he did? It was so extreme. And I was like, yeah, tell me. And she said, he canceled everything except for ministering. And he was like okay, guys, if we're too busy to get our ministering done, then we're just going to cancel everything else, all the extra meetings, all the extra activities, all the fluff. We're going to get rid of it until we can figure out how to minister. Because he was like, this is the most important thing. And that's extreme, but it is interesting. And I think that we've seen our church do a lot of similar things too. They just super oversimplified 
the for strength of youth standards that we grew up with much more of like a law of Moses kind of standards book. And it was awesome, but it told you everything down to like how many piercings you should have as a girl and where your hemlines should be and all things like that. And now it's so much more simplified. It still has really important key elements in there about like keeping yourself pure and in mind and in action and things like that. Like it still covers the most basic important principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ from our perspective in our church, but it's taken away a lot of the little things that I think are distracting people from feeling like they totally are a part of this or that they belong or that they have a place in our church. And I, I think that's interesting. Also, somebody said the other day, I was like, Oh, that is so true. They've gotten rid of all of the programs that have like checklists. Like they've gotten rid of the young women's personal progress. They've gotten rid of scouts. They've gotten rid of. I'm laughing as you say scouts because there's. Neil was in scouts for forever. A lot of checklists and badges and. Lots of that. Very governmental. And and it's great. Like there, I think good things came of that, but I also think that it's distracting from the, the very essence and the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ which is ministering, serving, loving, you know, love God, love your neighbor, not necessarily earn all of the merit badges. So that to me is super interesting that it's like, okay, we've, we've got in our church, we've got a prophet that's saying, this is the most important thing. Get there and you'll get a lot of blessings in return. And we've seen that. We've seen that true in our life for sure. This is also interesting, though. I think you can take it to an extreme. I think you can be so overachieving and the opposite of what I talked about with like, I have all this free time and am I spending it wisely? I think you can get so extreme with with trying to achieve too much or be too much of a perfectionist that this is what Uchtdorf says in his talk of things that matter most. This is such a good talk. He says, There comes a point where milestones can become millstones and ambitions, albatrosses around our necks. And I think that can certainly be true as well, where if you're so focused on achieving and working hard and making it all happen and getting to the top of everything, you know, you're going to miss the things that like what's most important in life are the things that you can take into the next life. Like your relationships with people, the did you do things that were loving and serving and kind and within your potential to change the world for the better, doing things that affected people and not just the bottom line or in work or even in school and, and extracurricular achievements, like those things are good. But I think you can so easily be distracted by an obsession to overachieve. So that's that's one part of this. And I, I think Satan, I've always said this, like Satan doesn't care how he gets you. He just wants to get you. So for one person, it might be, I'm going to make you feel like you have to overachieve so badly that you don't have time for things like the temple or scripture reading or serving others or whatever, because you have to achieve. And then there's other people who maybe just, living up to their potential or doing really anything that is going to bring them to their purpose in life. Like that's their albatross around the neck 
is getting them to just like get up and get going and, and work hard. And that's definitely kind of where I keep finding myself falling into the slump. Like you've seen, I don't know if you've seen this, you're not really on social media at all, but there's a meme that goes around that I see pop up every once in a while about Netflix about like, Hey, let's watch a 10 hour movie. And the other person says, are you crazy? Absolutely not. And then they say, okay, well let's break it into 10 episodes and watch it all in one night. And then they're like, okay, I'm in. And that's, that's Netflix. And you know, in a nutshell, if I, and here's a funny example. So we have an angel and we love that because you can filter everything out and watch TV shows or movies and make them really clean. So a couple weeks ago, I said to Neil, Hey, have you ever seen Braveheart? And he was like, I don't know if I ever have seen the whole thing. And I was like, well, it's on Fit Angel. We could like clean it all up, filter it and watch it. And he was like, isn't that, you said to me, isn't that a really long movie? Like a two and a half hour movie or something. And I was like, yeah, but we can split it up into two nights. So we did. We watched it over a weekend in two different nights. But what's funny is we started a series this past weekend that had like eight hour long episodes. We had no problem getting through that the whole weekend. (laughs) So it's just kind of funny that like that's how easily we can be distracted with with anything. And watching a TV series is not evil, but it's definitely eating up a lot of your time. And to me, that's like time well spent when you and I are just like hanging out. And I don't mean, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I'm just saying that it is so easy to just get like super distracted by something so deceiving as a Netflix series where you can, before you even know it, watch a whole lot of TV and where you if you were looking at it for what it was like a three hour Braveheart movie, you might be like, Whoa, I don't know if I can hang with a three hour movie. But if you only look at it in little pieces and you think, Oh yeah, I like, let's start this series. It's just an hour long per episode. And then the next thing you know, you're 25 episodes in, it's pretty easy to distract and waste your time. And that again is the tagline of this. Satan wants us to waste our time. I just couldn't believe how much that just popped out to me when I heard that. One last thing that I have thought a lot about is I think that perhaps the greatest distraction of all is your identity and who you are. And I think that Satan loves to distract us from that. I mean, it is not pop culture. It is not seen as cool in the world to identify yourself as a child of God. That is not something that you oftentimes hear people talk about, but that is in reality, the very most important part of your identity. It's all of, all of us who are on this earth, I believe are literal sons and daughters of God and connecting to that gives you ultimate purpose and really perfect self-esteem, self-worth, self-understanding of who you are, why you're here on this earth, and an eternal perspective of, oh yeah, I, we believe I once lived with heavenly parents. I agreed to come down to the earth and have this like very short in the eternal, the eternal scheme, a very short earthly experience, and then go back and report on what I did with my time. And if you think of it in that way, you think of your purpose on on this earth and you think of 
how you agreed to come here, do certain things. You and I have talked about that, how we believe. And and this isn't necessarily like doctrine in our church, but this is just you and I both believe personally that, you know, we agree before we come to earth to do certain things and then go back and report on what we did and how we spent our time and whether we stayed faithful and endured to the end and did we teach our children and that's a that's another maybe full topic for another day but looking at when i look at my children and their true identity is not not a stoko not a child of corinne and neil but really actually a child of heavenly parents and that we're all the same and that we just came a little bit earlier than they did in the game and that we have this stewardship to teach them but their actual identity is a child of god that puts things into so much perspective for me. It takes away kind of the God complex, the the authority figure, parent-child relationship, and more of like a, I have a responsibility to teach you the most important things in life and to love you and care about you and hopefully be able to report back that I did a decent job at teaching you not only how to be a good person, but how to like truly identify yourself as who you really are. And I think that is just totally one of Satan's greatest distractions. And you've talked about it in your identity with work, with being like, are you a good provider? Does the world tell you that you're worth a certain dollar value because you bring in a certain amount every day? And we we get to heaven, who's going to ask you like, what do you do? Like nobody, nobody's going to ask you that. What I think will be interesting are the conversations there. Maybe what did you do? Like what, (laughs) what was your role on the earth? What, what was your thing? What did you, what was your legacy? What did you leave people with? What did you, how did you serve? What did you teach? What was your theme? I mean, you look at somebody like Sabrowski that you, like you love to quote and you love to talk about like the funny things that he said, like don't do dumb things and things that have stayed with you forever. Somebody like that, he was, sorry, he was Nils mission president, but like what an amazing legacy to leave behind. You know, these one-liners that have just like shaped all these people's lives forever. So I think that keeping an eternal perspective of your identity is one of the most important things as far as not letting Satan win in the distraction. Like if you show up once again, I don't know why I'm like being drawn to this surf competition analogy because I maybe that's I don't key. surf. Maybe you need no. To go surfing. No. <laughs> After we We've been surfing. I'm not good at it. It's fine. But think about if you were showing up to a surf competition and somehow someone knew that you had the potential to win that you were really like the front runner, but you didn't know that. You just felt like one in the crowd. For sure, Satan wouldn't want you to know that. He wouldn't want you to know that like your dad was Kelly Slater or whatever, your your parents were like world-class surfers. He wouldn't want you to know. He'd want you to feel like just another person. Line up, you're the same as everybody else. But that's just not true. Like we really do have this divine identity of being children of heavenly parents. And that if we can remember that, we can remember what our whole purpose is of being on the earth and how much potential we have to do so much good. And that in the next life, we'll be able to look back and say, yes, I did what God prompted me to do. I brought my unique gifts and talents and I made the most of my time in, 
in the ways that really mattered that are going to carry into the next life. No, I agree. I keep thinking of this, like the stats. We're so big on stats and numbers now. And I've got this little thing on my iPhone that will tell me what my screen time was for the week and give me a reports and data and all this stuff. And I, I wonder at the end of this life, if there's going to be like the heavenly auditor <laughs> that shows up and's like, ah, you spent 1 million hours watching TV shows and you spent 500,000 hours serving others, you know, or I, I'm sure some of the stats right now, I'm just like, man, what are the, what is that going to be? But, but at the end of the day, I think that's the beautiful thing is that like the atonement, Jesus Christ, that's, that's the focus and that's the great kind of mediation that happens is, is even if there are mistakes that are made and it's, everyone's mm -hmm. a work in progress. It's not like some event that we suddenly get to and then we're, we're perfect and then we're, we're done with our life. It's a, it's a progression and it's an eternal progression and it's through Christ. So, but that's the cool thing is I think even, I think it's easy to get caught up in the, in the perfectionism of like, am I perfectly doing this? Am I perfectly using my time? Which I'm always looking at and I'm like, no, is the answer really. But I think it's it's great to look at it and, and with the sense of there's an opportunity to get better, to make small adjustments. And I love that. I love President Hinckley, who was a prophet that I grew up with. He was, that was his thing after every general conference, every time we'd have a big meeting with all the members and the apostles of the church, he would always end it and he would say, let's take an opportunity just to be a little better. Like, let's just be a little better today than we were yesterday. Let's be just a little better, better spouse, a better family member, a better follower of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what it, what it comes down to and being pointed in the right direction. But there definitely, definitely are some challenges out there and some distractions that can, can lead us away from that and make us forget that, that God's there for us and that if we turn to him, we can make those changes and adjustments and, and do that, that it's possible and it's through Christ. So really cool. I'm so glad you brought it back to the beginning, brought it full circle back to the atonement of Jesus Christ, because there's one more part of the infinite atonement that I wanted to share. So these are Tad Callister's words. And he says, Satan has been successful in diverting much of the Christian world's attention from the one doctrine that can save us, the atonement of Jesus Christ, to the ancillary doctrines that have meaning only because they draw their sustenance from this redeeming event. Like a skilled magician, Satan's every move is to divert our attention and dilute our focus from the primary object at hand, namely Christ's atoning sacrifice, in hopes that we will turn exclusively to doctrines of secondary and far less import. And I love that when we go to 12-step meetings that you end every share with the same thing because it's true and because it's so important to remember as a focus of how people, like why the 12 steps work, you always end it with. I literally say the same thing at the end of my share every week. And I say, it's only through the atonement of Jesus Christ that this thing works, that, that anything happens. It's because of what he did that we're able to overcome sin, overcome challenges, overcome addictions. That's the reason why Jesus Christ, I mean, really, if you look at it, that the 12 steps and what they're all about 
it's it's a way of accessing the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's the whole premise of it. So it's only through him. And, and I think that it's a beautiful thing because if it's on me, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential for things to go wrong. But if it's on him, someone's perfect, I'd rather have it that way than trying to look at myself and think, man, I'm so great. I'm just going to make it happen because I'm awesome and just know what my limitations and frailties are. But through Christ, I can do all things and I can be the person that Heavenly Father knows that I can be. And I just need to do my part to open myself up to those opportunities. And that's where agency comes in. So really cool. So the last thing I would say is if you are listening to this and any of this resonated with you, especially that line, Satan wants us to waste our time. And you're thinking, okay, there are so many good things I could do with my time. What, what's the most important thing? My advice would be to ask, like, just get on your knees, ask heavenly father, what is the most important thing that I can do today? Not necessarily to culminate the entire existence of me as an earthly being, or even what am I supposed to do this year or even this month, just today. That's just like, it's a basic principle that I absolutely love that I picked up from doing the 12 steps is step 11 every day to pray. This has completely changed the way that I pray too. every day. Just get on your knees and ask God, what do you want me to do today and help me to have the power to do it and then get busy and then do it. So for me that I know I'll just like commit myself publicly to, I know that I need to write my book and I know that that's like the next super important thing. And I've, I have worked on it a little, a little, but not nearly as much as I know I have the opportunity to. So that's my big commitment is to work every day for at least a couple hours on writing this book that I know is really important and So whatever that is for you, I promise you that as you get on your knees and you ask God, show me what you need me to do today that he will show you. And it might look totally different than something that you may have thought it would be. It might be as simple as making a phone call or doing something simple for a neighbor or spending time with a family member or calling someone or righting a wrong or whatever. But whatever that is that he really needs you to do, he'll tell you if you just ask. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.